Well, I am, uh, I am pumped to be here, and I am pumped to bring a word today. And I got like, I'm always excited to preach. This is what I do, and I enjoy to do it. But sometimes I've got like a, a thing in my spirit that I, if you didn't even show up and this room was empty, I'd still show up and preach. And uh, if nobody was at any of our locations, because this is one of those words that I think the spirits need to hear. I think there's some d- demonic powers that need to hear this word. And so I'm going to preach it. I'm glad you're here. I'd prefer that you were. But nonetheless, I-, I feel really excited to bring this word. If you're just joining us, we have been journeying through a series we've been calling Trending. And the whole purpose of it's been to look at different trending topics of our day and to teach on what the Word of God says about them. And so we have done some really heavy lifting, to be quite honest, over the last month and a half. And we're about coming to an end. We're going to one more week of this. And then in December, I'm going to do a series called A Feel-Good Christmas. And uh, I feel like, you know what, it's not that it's been bad in the trending series, but it's been heavy. It's been hard work. And so I am going to make Osteen sick. I'm going to be the most (laughs) encouraging, empowering, life-giving, uplifting preacher you have ever heard through the month of December. So come back. It's going to be good. Uh, And actually, I felt that that we're going to get the party started today. And 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 funny enough, and, and this is how God works, funny enough, we're going to talk about probably the heaviest topic and bring the freshest, most empowering word with it. Today, I want to talk about something that for all of us, I think, is not going to take a ton of explanation. And it's something that, uh, quite frankly, most of us have had to deal with, in, whether it's in relationships or someone we know. Uh, I want to talk today about discouragement, despair, and even suicide. Uh, it's interesting. I never thought I'd preach on suicide specifically. And I'm not here to preach on suicide, and you'll see that in a minute. But I never even thought I'd bring that up as a topic Until about a year and a half ago, God began to do a work in my heart to get me to see certain things that are affecting our community. I was was driving in my car with my cousin, who's a firefighter, and I remember uh, the first time my eyes kind of became open to how prevalent this issue is among not just people that we live with and interact with every day, but among the church. And I was driving with my cousin, and I asked him, hey man, you know, you have a really important job. How do you like the job? And he's telling me all about being a firefighter. And I said, man, you know, it must, must be that the good days are really good and the hard days are really hard because you must see some stuff. And he said, yeah, he said, it's not as bad as you think, but the bad days really are pretty heavy. And he said, I said, well, what, what's the worst? And I said, do you have anybody with you that can, you know, you can, you can process this? And he said, what's the worst? And he said, the worst is the suicide. The worst is how often I've had to see that and how many people are so hopeless and so full of discouragement and despair that they end their own lives. I, I, I've been blown away by how much that happens. And, I, and I, was, I was surprised that he said that. I said, really, you've experienced that like a lot? And he said, you would not believe in our region how prevalent that is and how many people have taken that option and taken their own lives. It's It's everywhere. And that was the first time I started looking a little differently at this topic. And then over the last year, I've had a multitude of conversations. And then at the end of this summer, it was almost like God just put this on my heart. Because this was the time that I was developing this trending series. And I wasn't planning on talking about this. But it's like God in one week just said, you're going to talk about this. Because uh, the start of the week, I remember reading an article online about a young pastor in California, 30 years old, has a, has a beautiful wife and young, two young boys, pastor of a large church. I could identify with this guy, and he ended up just in a moment of weakness and despair taking his own life. 
And that rattled me when I read that. And then the same week, I think it was the same week or within, within a short period of time, uh, Kate Spade, the, the fashion designer, took her own life. And then the same week that that happened, uh, the chef, Anthony Bourdain, took his life. And I was like, what is going on? All of this is happening. And then that same week, I had a multitude of you come up to me and say, have you ever considered talking about this? Because we're dealing with it. And so if you don't think this is something that is affecting uh, the world we live in, I want you to know that it is absolutely prevalent. It's all around us, not just suicidal thoughts, but I think all of us can understand that fight, that day-to-day fight with discouragement and even despair. And I think we live in a time where we're more affected by it and more in the midst of that battle than ever before, the battle against despair. And so the Lord kind of prompted me to come and to preach and to just bring a message of, of hope and encouragement in the face of despair and discouragement and suicide. Uh, it's an absolute epidemic in the world we live in, and it's in the church. It's in uh, not just mainstream culture, but a lot of believers are dealing with that. I know a lot of you are dealing with that or have dealt with that or know somebody who is deeply, deeply uh, dealing with despair and even suicidal thoughts. Uh, we live in a day and age where it is actually normalized. In some cases, suicide is even celebrated. I remember when Robin Williams took his life a few years ago and people would post memes online, like, you know, trying to make a positive out of a negative, but even saying, you know, you, 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 your, your, your fight is over and, and you know, you, you won your fight or something, like, like celebrating this. It's interesting how we've softened what that is in our culture today. And now we even live in a time where we have assisted dying, we call it. Or if things get difficult or too difficult to bear, you you can take that as an option. We live in a time where it's increasingly common. Did you know that in North America, the 10th leading cause of death is suicide? Of everything. It's more than car accidents. The 10th leading cause of death. There is one suicide, one death by suicide, every 10 to 12 minutes. That's one. And then look at this, this stat. One suicide for every 25 attempts. So that means that there, every minute there's someone attempting to take their own life. So there are a multitude of people dealing with this. And I know that, that you know this, and I know that, that this doesn't come as a huge shock to you, but maybe how pressing it is comes as a shock to you. But the point of this series hasn't been to preach about these trends and these topics. The point of this series has been to preach the word in the face of these trends and these topics. Now, I don't want to get up today, and I don't want to answer all these questions about suicide and depression and anxiety. I'm not a doctor. And frankly, if you're dealing with suicidal thoughts, I've got a word for you today, but you also need to get some help and get some people around you that are going to walk that out with you. You need to find some, some help. If you're dealing with anxiety and depression and despair, you need to see a doctor as well. But I have a word that's going to cut to the root, I believe, of all of this. Because I didn't come today to teach on suicide. I didn't come to preach about suicide. I believe God gave me a word that's going to hopefully get to the root of the hopelessness and despair that causes it. I want to equip us today with a word so that no matter where or no matter matter how you're dealing with this, depression, anxiety, despair, suicidal thoughts... Uh, I believe this word is going to be able to help you take back the ground that you or someone you love is losing in this battle. I want you to say this out loud with me because this is going to be an interactive sermon. So you've got to help me preach, Valley Campus, uh, Seaside. We've got too many now. I don't remember. All you guys out there. And I want you to say this out loud with me. Say, stir it up. Stir it up. So Paul writes to Timothy. And he says in his, in his message to Timothy, now Timothy is a, is a young pastor. In fact, he was the bishop 
of the church in Ephesus. A bishop means he's a person, he's a pastor over pastors and over a variety of locations. It's similar to how we are running our church. Except at that time, Timothy was the only bishop in this whole city called Ephesus, and he was the leader of a very large church. In fact, it was the largest church in history to that point. And so here's this young man. He's a young man that Paul raised up and planted there in Ephesus to lead this movement. And he's dealing with the pressures of, of being a young leader. I can identify with this guy. He's dealing with the pressures of, of, of dealing with a community. He's dealing with the pressures of actually leading a gospel movement in a city that was, up until that point, very opposed to it. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, there was a massive riot in the city of Ephesus. They weren't super friendly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's this guy, Timothy. I mean, talk about battling anxiety, battling depression, battling despair and discouragement. This is what Timothy's right at the heart of. I mean, here's this guy by himself out there trying to lead this movement. Got hundreds, thousands actually of people who are, who are part of his church and he's dealing with the power struggles that come with the church. If anybody ever comes up and tells you, hey, our church should be more like it was back in the New Testament. They aren't reading their Bible. It's messed up. And here's Timothy back there just trying to deal with heresy. I mean, people are twisting the mind of Christ. People are twisting the truth of the gospel. And so he's correcting heresy. He's correcting activities. He's dealing with all of the stuff that comes with leading a large movement, especially in that day. And, and Paul comes to him and he writes this encouragement. If you ever read First and Second Timothy, he's writing to encourage Timothy. And he writes this, and I think this is going to help us. I'm going to use this as our framework today. He writes this, and we read it before. He says, Timothy, listen. This is going to help you. I want to remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. You need to stir it up, he said. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul says this, you, Timothy, you might be going through it right now. You might be dealing with all the fears and anxiety and depression and you might be dealing with the criticism and someone might have wrongly accused you and you might have this bill to pay and you might have all these unanswered questions and all the stuff on the outside that is pushing you down and trying to discourage you. The answer is, for, is not for you to push back. The answer is for you to stir it up. That there's actually something that God put inside of you that you have got to access and bring up. Isn't that different than how we think about fighting our battles a lot of the time? Don't we think we got to change our external circumstances to see victory? And now Paul says, no, victory is not in changing the externals. Victory is in accessing what God has already put inside of you, but you have to stir it up. It's in there, but you have to access it yourself. I, I, I was thinking of it like this. If Paul, if there was a dairy queen in Ephesus, I think Paul would have helped Timothy understand what it means to stir up what the gift of God in you, maybe by illustrating like with a blizzard. Any, any blizzard people? Anybody like a blizzard? I did some sermon prep and went and bought myself a blizzard. And uh, I actually used to work at Dairy Queen. Do you know that? Did you see me with a little apron and making your cheeseburger? Yeah, it was like three weeks ago, hard times at King's Church, right? No, it was when I was, when I was in high school, I worked at Dairy Queen. And, and anybody like, you get blizzards, you know, with a blizzard, they're great treat that's way overpriced, but you still buy it anyway, you know? And in it, they, here's what I found. The people who really know how to make it, how to make those blizzards, they know that there's a, there's a way you're supposed to do it. First, you put the good stuff in, right? 
You, know, you put the Oreos in or the score. What's your score? Score the one? Yeah, the score's the one. You put the score in, and then they put the vanilla ice cream on top, and then what do they do? They, hey, all right, Valley Campus, how we doing out at Halifax? Yeah, they stir it up, and they have that thing, they don't, right, that thing. And what's that do? It brings the good stuff that was on the bottom, it brings it up to the top. And in fact, sometimes you'll go through the drive-thru and you'll even order a blizzard and it's like all vanilla. And you got to know, okay, the good stuff's in there. It's just buried. It's down at the bottom and I got I to gotta stir it up, right? I think this is kind of in, in a really weird way uh, how Paul would maybe help us understand what it means to stir it up. Here's the deal. And I think this is different than for a lot of you have been taught about your faith. There are the things that God has put inside of you. He's already placed inside of you the things that you need to actually walk in victory. Let me say that again. God has already put inside of you the things that you need to walk in victory. That, that he, when you believed in Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, Paul said, when you believed, you received power, love, and a sound mind. The thing that you have to do is learn how to stir it up. You actually have to learn how to access it. And I am convinced, and I've been learning this in my own journey as I'm following Jesus, I am convinced that a lot of us don't walk in victory because we're waiting for God to fight a battle that he has raised you up to fight. That we're actually waiting for God to do something that he's waiting for you to do. And that there are things that God has put inside you to give you the equipment to actually fight back against what you are going through. Now, sometimes God just goes and does things for us because he's a good father. But you know what else good fathers do? Some days they get up and say, son, I'm not making your bed for you. I'm not tying your shoes for you. You're a big boy. You got two feet and two hands and you know how to do it. And I have seen this in my life. There have been a lot of times where I've caught myself praying for something that I, and then I felt the Spirit say, don't pray for that, declare it. Don't, don't, what are you asking me to do that for? I called you to do it. There's one time Pastor Dan and I, we, we were praying in, 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 a, in a gathering and we, we, we shifted something in the room. It was, it was like we were, we were asking God to do something. And I don't know which one of us said this because sometimes we get in that zone and we're just, we're like symbiotic and we're just with the spirit and we're praying. And I remember like one of us said, Lord, you didn't call us to ask you to do something that you actually want us to do. And so we're going to stand up in authority. You said that we would tread on the serpent. You said that God would, would crush Satan underneath our feet. So we're going to stand here in authority and we're going to bind up that which you said we could bind up and loose that which you said we could loose. I'm preaching. All right. I feel like preaching. It's been a while. I've been teaching too much. I came to preach today. See, many of us are victims and defeated because we're waiting on God to do something that he's waiting on you to do. That Jesus already bought you power, love, and a sound mind. He purchased that and deposited it in your account the day that you believed. You didn't have to do anything for it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he gave it to you. Here's the thing, though. You and I have got to learn to activate our faith in such a way that brings it up to the forefront. Life is trying to push that stuff down. And so that's why Paul says, Timothy, you got to stir that up. It's not going to come naturally in that moment when fear arises. That moment you get the phone call. That moment that you hear that they did that. That moment that you're, you, you don't know how you're going to pay for it. The moment you get the diagnosis, it's going to push that back. And your job is to stir it up. 
You actually have to learn in that moment to stir up your faith. That's what faith is. You know, there's a lot of Christians who are believers but have no faith. What's the difference? I can believe in something, but faith is to actually trust it. Faith is to activate it. This is why in Hebrews 11, uh, it says, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Why does, why does it qualify that? Why does it say belief? Because belief isn't evidential. I can believe in secret. And I can believe in something and not trust it. That's why James said, you know what? Congratulations. The, the devil believes in Jesus. Doesn't trust him. Doesn't place his trust in him. You see, I think the key to victory for a lot of us is learning how to access what God has already put in us. He has already placed us inside of us, power, love, and a sound mind. And so our job, when it comes to the fight of faith, when it comes to even dealing with discouragement and despair, the moment that life, whether you are pushed down to the very pit, or even in that moment you feel anxiety press in, or you feel fear, you feel fear press in, your job is to not huddle down and say, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. I think as a believer, God actually wants you to get up and actually start stirring up your faith. And so now I don't want to just talk in generalities today and say, oh yeah, stir up your faith, stir up your faith. And you're going to leave here and say, oh yeah, stir up my faith. And you don't know what that means. What does that mean, bro? Right? Like we're going to, so I'm going to help you. This is what it looks like to stir up your faith. I'm going to say, stir it up. Come on, Halifax, stir it up. Yes. <laughs> we got one more here. Oh man, in Halifax last week, I preached on substances and I, and I got up and I said, hey, and today I'm going to preach about Marijuana, and someone goes, Woo! And it's like, Hey, all right. What you're doing here, Pastor Seth, but anyway. So, Paul actually, like, he puts the clues for us right in it. He didn't just say to Timothy, Hey, stir up your faith, man. Deal with it, big boy. That's not what he said. He said, I remind you. In that moment of trial, in that moment of depression, in that moment of despair, in that moment in the hospital, in that moment, I remind you to stir up the gift that God has put in you that God did not give you. He says, here's what it is. Here's the gift. He says, you have been given the gift of power, love, and a sound mind. And in those three things is everything we need to walk in victory over discouragement and despair. If we can walk in power, love, and a sound mind, ain't nobody going to be taking their lives. If you can walk in power, love, and a sound mind, nobody's going to fall prey to discouragement. Because that's the zone that discouragement works at. So Paul says, stir up your faith and access power, love, and a sound mind. So if you take notes, write this down. First, stir up the power of Jesus. Stir up the power of Jesus. This first and foremost is a question about finding authority. Finding authority. Here's something I just want to press on you today, and I didn't come to give you a talk or to, to teach. I, I actually came to proclaim something to you. It's this. There is power in you. Let that hit you for a second. If, you, if, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, there is power inside of you. Whether you know it or not, it might be way down underneath miles of vanilla ice cream, but there is power in you. Jesus deposited in you the day you believe. You get that in your account. The day you believe, the power of Christ is inside of you. 
And so we got to learn how to stir up this authority of Jesus inside of us. Here's the reality of the, of the, the struggle against depression and despair and anxiety and the spirit of suicide. And, and make no mistake, it is a spirit. You've got to understand something that this struggle is spiritually based and that you live in a war zone. That, that this is not just like the, the, the lie of the devil wants to tell you especially with suicide and anxiety, like that, well, life got the best of me. No, the life didn't get the best of you. The devil got the best of you. You're dealing with spiritual realities. And as a believer, we aren't just here saying, you know what, well, there's, you know, anatomic, uh, you know, physiological reasons why you deal with anxiety. Yes, we also know there are physiological reasons why people fall into depression, but you got to understand something. There's more going on than just what's going on in your body and your mind. There are spiritual realities at play, which I believe, and the word says, is actually at the root of the fight. That this is actually a spiritual battle that all of us are in. So the moment that you feel discouragement press in against you, the moment you feel anxiety lift, first and foremost, you've got to start finding your authority and reminding yourself this is a spiritual battle and I've got to find the actual authority that's going to bring life. I mean, Jesus told us this is a spiritual battle. John 10, 10, he said, I have come. He says, the thief comes to what? To rob, kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you would have life, and you'd have it more abundantly. Uh, Peter said, you know what? Be alert, be of sober mind, for your enemy, the devil, rolls around, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for that which he may devour. We are, we are one of those churches that believes in a devil. There are spirits there are demonic forces right now working to pull you down, tear you apart, distort your, your, your sight, trying to actually destroy you, and Jesus is trying to build you. So you've got to first and foremost believe and understand the powers that are influencing you. Powers influencing you, pressing against you, pushing against you, devastating you, discouraging you. Think about, think about people that you, you've heard that, or you knew that took their own life. What was some of the language you, you hear surrounding it? It was too much to bear. The power of it was too great, right? It's a power struggle. I couldn't take it anymore. They couldn't take it anymore. It's a power struggle. The weight, the power of life, the power of the issues that they were facing, pressing against them. That feeling of being overcome, of being suffocated. That feeling of having no options. I mean, what... What more evidence do you need, the fact that there are powers at work, than a person can take their own life? You think about it. Like, that began with a thought. That began with a thought. There are powers at work, and we have got to learn how to recognize the spirits. Part of, part of stirring it up is recognizing whose voice am I living from? Whose voice am I letting speak? That's why John wrote this, 1 John 4, 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So if it's acknowledging Jesus Christ is life in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. That's how you know. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because, here it is, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So why? So what's it mean to stir up your power? You have to recognize that there is a power struggle, that there is a devil. That's scary. That's scary stuff. 
There are demons right now working against you, but here's the good news. The one who is in you is actually greater than the one who is in the world. I remember I had that revelation. I, I don't have time to get into it today, but I had some experiences throughout high school that I think the devil was trying to push me away from ministry and just dealing with demonic attacks in my life, and I was terrified, petrified, because I didn't even know there were things like demons and spirits and that kind of thing until I had that experience. And I was years and years and years battling with night terrors and, and visions and all kinds of crazy stuff. And mostly because I believe fear had a foothold, which gives the enemy access. And then I had this realization. I don't know when it kind of shifted. But it was like, okay, if the devil's real, and, and then that means Jesus is real. And if Jesus is real and God is real, then that means his word is true. And if his word says that, that this is no contest and that the enemy is just on a leash and that demons flee at the sound of his name and that when he walked up to the man who had 2,000 demons in him, that man fell at his feet and said, don't hurt us. So if he's in me, see, don't, don't let the devil convince you that he's in charge. He's not. And if you read your Bible and you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus, like there was, was not one moment. Like Jesus didn't lift a finger. Demons absolutely ran in terror when he was around. Sometimes you'll hear things like there's, the, there's God and the devil. And you could even interpret what I was just saying. Like there are these two equal forces working against each other. No, no, no. They're not equal at all. There's God and there's everything else. This is not a two-sided thing. This is not a contest. God is in charge. And so the question about stirring up your faith is first and foremost asking yourself, who do I believe is in charge? Who do I believe is my authority? Who do I believe is greater? The one who is in me or the one who is in the world? You have got to realize you are fighting a spiritual battle and not fall for the lies the enemy wants to tell you. You need to replace those lies with truth. Stir up that power and recognize that the powers at work in, are, are, that, that are for you are so much greater than that which is against you. Stir up the power. Stir up the power of God. Recognize that you have power in you. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. The key word is resist. Pull back. Fight back, stand your ground, stand firm. This is what Paul was getting at, Ephesians 6. You ever remember that one? Ephesians 6, Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle is not against your, your anatomy, your physiology, even though that's a part of it. it. It's deeper than that. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness. So put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. You see, first and foremost, we have to learn to stir up the power of Jesus in us. We have to ask ourselves, who is my authority? And I know some of you, like, there's actual mental illness, and that's a thing that, you know what, the same way that your arm needs a cast, sometimes your brain needs a cast as well, and you need to get actual medical treatment. But for the day-to-day -day battles, and I believe that ultimately lead to this type of despair and discouragement, it comes because you have not learned to actually stir up the faith of God, the gift of God that is in you. And the first thing that Paul says is you've got to stir up power and realize you are not powerless, you are not a victim, you don't curl up in a ball, 
you stand up and you stand your ground and you put the armor of God on and you remind yourself, I serve the one who died and rose again and put death under his feet and I am on the winning side and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Like we got to arm ourselves with that. We got to arm our brothers and sisters with that. Speak that over them when they can't speak it themselves. Jesus said, Matthew 28, all authority. All authority. I know some of you are fighting some things right now that it seems like very authoritative. Cancer is very authoritative. Mental illness is very authoritative. Despair, all the stuff, it's very authoritative. But Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. All authority. Therefore, go. Verse 20 says, surely I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You've got to learn to stir up the power of God. Everyone say, stir it up. Stir it up. Come on, realize you're not a victim in those moments. And I know that that's super hard in the moment, isn't it? Because the moment that, that, that depression and despair or that moment of, of, of fighting comes against you, your reaction generally is not to fight, it's flight, isn't it? But Paul says, no, no, you need to learn to stir it up, start accessing what God has put in you. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and what? Love. He's given us love. Why is love important? This is about finding certainty. It's about finding a certainty, about finding assurance, about finding confidence. You have got to realize and stir up in those moments where everything in your world calls it into question. You've got to stir up one thing and one thing only, that I am loved by God. You need to recall that revelation of God that tells me, no, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and my circumstances do not dictate the love of God over me. And I will not, I will not judge my God through my circumstances, but I will judge my circumstances through my God. You have to actually call up the love of God and remind yourself in those moments that I am loved. Why? Because at the heart of the war on despair and discouragement and even suicide is the fight against fear. And the enemy wants to bring you to a place where the fear of living is, less, or is greater than the fear of dying. That's why people take their lives. It's not that they want to die, it's just they can't bear to live. Why? Because they have become so convinced that living is going to be so terrible and so, 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 so to be feared. And so why is fear at the heart of it? Because it's right there in the middle of the, being convinced that I can't go forward. And so Paul says, "You, Timothy, listen, I, I know what you're going through. Boy, you need to actually stir up the love of God and remind yourself that regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what I'm going through right now, and I don't know what you're going through right now, but just hear this, I am loved by God. You are loved by God. You've got to actually let that sink in because God wants to draw you into such a revelation and knowledge of his love and his goodness that no matter what you face, you are grounded and covered in that love and goodness. Because the love of God roots out all fear. So John said, God is love. John 1, 1 John 4, 16. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on that day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. If you realize the perfect love of God, fear has to go. Because fear has to do with, say it out loud, punishment, bad things. Bad things are coming my way. 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Why is that there? It's there to remind you, where do we draw our love from? The demonstration of love from God in Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Consider the cross. Like, consider the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is actually the power that reminds us and stirs up the love of God in us. When you consider that God, who, you know, who's rich in mercy, when you consider uh, that, that God, you know, in the beginning the word was God and, the, and God was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory full of grace and truth and that he took on your cross and bore your sin and took your shame and took your punishment. How can you look at that and say anything less than, wow, look at the love of God. This is what Paul was getting at when he said, you know, how could he who did not spare or did not hold back his own son but instead gave him up for us, not along with us give us all things. Not along with him give us all things. Why, why, why is that important? It's important because that's the demonstration of his love. When you realize God loves you, it gives you assurance. It gives you assurance. That's what Paul was getting at, Philippians 1. He says, I am certain of this. Look, I'm not certain of everything. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. I don't know how it's going to go, but I am certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. God's going to finish what he starts. I'm certain of it. So it gives you assurance. It gives you assurance that you belong to God. Stir up that love. Here's a question. Is your God so small that he can't bring you through your struggle? Is your God that small? My God conquered death. Our God conquered death. He can deal with your issues, whether it's on this side of, this side of heaven or the next. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm certain of this. He's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to fix it, but I'm certain of this. He's going to fix it. That's, that's how we stir up certainty. We stir up that love. I don't know how God's going to fix your marriage. I don't know how God's going to deal with that. I don't know how God's going to bring about it. I don't know if he's going to heal your body now or if it's going to be after you die and you go to heaven. All I know is he's going to do it. I'm certain of this. He's going to finish what he started. Stir it up. Gives me assurance in the uncertainty. The love of God gives me uh, meaning in the calamity. I think one of the big lies of the devil, especially when we're fighting despair and discouragement, it's just how, like, meaningless it, it seems. Like, everything just, it seems to just be chaotic, and it's just, it's robbery. But the Bible actually tells us that God actually causes all things to come together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, Romans, Romans 8, 28. The fact that we can even find meaning in the mess, that God will take, every, God won't waste a single hurt. God's not going to waste your cancer. He's going to make something glorious out of it. God's going to take all the breaks and cracks and he's going to pull it together in this beautiful mosaic that he builds to his glory and to your, to your joy. He's just going to do it. Bring up that certainty. Bring up that meaning. I think the, probably the biggest thing that the love of God does is it gives us that assurance where it gives us peace in the pain. We actually get peace. Do you know, like, I don't know there's people here. I know you've been through stuff. Some of you have actually lost loved ones to suicide. And in that very wake, you actually felt the peace of God that passes all understanding guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We can actually access peace in the pain. You know what? The times in my life, and many of you have been through a lot harder things than I have, but I've been through a few things. And the times in my life that have been the hardest, God has been the closest. 
every single time. We serve not just the God who's greater and above the storm, we serve God in the storm. So confront that lie. Like some of you right now, I think people who take their life, they, they obviously feel alone. They feel a certain level of detachment and isolation. Confront that lie that you're not alone. Like God is with you. God is with you. He's there in the cave. Remember when Elijah hit rock bottom and there's God just whispering at the end, at the, end, at the mouth of the cave, just inviting him close. See, God is in the midst of the trial. He's in the, the dark place. He's in the night. God's not afraid to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. In fact, he walks you through and brings you through it. Stir up the love of Christ. Final thought is this. When we get thinking about stirring it up, stirring up the, the, the power of God, remind yourself that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not powerless in this. God has given me authority to, to step on the head of snakes Remind yourself that I'm loved by God. I'm not abandoned. I'm loved, and God's going to bring me through this. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to bring me through it. And then we need to remind ourselves in those moments. And I don't know what you're going through. Some of you are dealing with some very heavy things. Some of you are just dealing with the chaos of life. It doesn't matter. On anywhere in the spectrum, God has already conquered it. And if you start accessing and stirring up these things, you're going to walk in power. Final thought is this. Stir up the mind of Jesus. Look what Paul says, he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on my hands for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and what? A sound mind, a right mind, clear thinking. See, the battle is where? It's in your thinking. It's in your mind. And do you know how the enemy works? He works to block your vision. You know, people who, who succumb to despair and they, they get discouraged and their hope gets, gets placed away. Uh, the Bible actually says hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what this is. It's a sickness of the soul. It's hope getting deferred. It's, it's blocking. You have no hope in sight. And, and your heart gets sick and sick and sicker and sicker until it dies. You lose all hope. See, the way the enemy attacks us, it's actually in your mind. He actually wants to convince you of some things that you can't see a way forward. He, he blocks your vision. He blo you can't see a way out. You can't see beyond. You can't see beyond your feelings. You can't see beyond your thoughts. And I, I know anybody who's actually gone through uh, suicide or uh, knows somebody or a loved one that's gone through that, the thing you would tell them, I know this, is don't trust your thinking. Don't trust your feelings. You can't trust your thoughts. They lie to you. You're not alone. We do love you. You do have things to live for. You can't trust it. And so here's the, here's the beauty of Paul saying, stir up the mind of Christ as he's telling you right now, you can't trust your thinking. No, not the person who's suicidal. You in the battle, you in that moment of, of, of despair, you in that moment of disagreement or discouragement, you can't trust your thinking. So what do we do? We actually have to have the mind of Christ. We have to get that sound mind from God. Look at what Paul says right here. 2 Corinthians 10.3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. How does the, how does the war wage world? Well, the variety of ways depends on the war. But the way that we wage war, look at this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So here it is. We demolish arguments. What's an argument? It, it comes from an idea, doesn't it? Every pretension, it's an idea. It's a way of thinking. 
We demolish those, those things that set themselves up against what? Are you reading? Against the knowledge of God. Is that there? Yeah, we set the, we, they set themselves up against the knowledge of God, against seeing God. We demolish them, and how? How do we do it? By taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. So how do you stir up the mind of Christ? You think with the gospel. You actually think with the gospel in mind. That's how you do it. It actually becomes the very lens by which you, you filter your situation. You know you can't trust your thinking. You know that the enemy is going to use your mind to bind and destroy you. But the gospel tells me that God actually wants to use my mind as I consider the gospel to actually free me and restore me. So we got to stir up a gospel perspective. we got to remind ourselves of the eternal. Isn't that lie, that lie of, of that suicidal lie, it, doesn't it twist what is true? It gets, it gets you thinking, you know, things will never change. It will always be this way. I'm always going to feel this way or worse. That's the lie. That's a suicidal lie. It actually tries to make the temporary eternal. But God actually says the mind of Christ actually makes the eternal eternal and the temporary temporary. This is what Paul is getting at 2 Corinthians 4. We don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. Your bills are temporary. Your disease is temporary. Your divorce is temporary. Your fears are temporary. Your struggles are, are temporary. Your, your problem is temporary. All the things that you're dealing with and warring with, first and foremost, the mind of Christ reminds me, no matter what I'm going through, it's temporary. Yeah? Say it's temporary. Tell your neighbor, whatever you're going through, it's temporary. It's temporary. It is temporary. It's not going to last forever. So the Bible reminds you, hey, Lord, teach me to count my days. Remind me that flesh is like grass here today, gone tomorrow, and the place in the field doesn't even remember it. I think it's healthy sometimes to remember your life is a vapor. Makes things not seem quite as all-encompassing. We fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. We got to see the eternal. We need to see in the eyes of faith. We need to have a faith assumption. The Bible tells us what? Walk by faith, not by... Man, don't we fight with the sight? Don't we do that? Well, I see my bills. Right? I see my weight problem. Or whatever it is you're fighting with, I see my spouse and I want to, <laughs> right? Not me, she. I love you, babe. Because you see that. But we don't fight, we don't walk by, by sight, we walk by faith. This is, I love that, I don't have time to get into it today, but in 2 Kings 6, uh, Elisha, is standing and the whole army, there's this whole army surrounding them and, and Elisha's servant's freaking out. He's like, there's an army and there's two of us. And Elisha doesn't pray for more. Elisha doesn't pray that the army dies. Elisha prays that his eyes would be open to see that those who are with them are greater than those who are against them. And his eyes are open and he sees that surrounding what's surrounding them is a greater force. So we were singing, like singing earlier, it may look like I'm surrounded, but... 
Oh, Halifax, you nailed that. Yes. I'm surrounded. There's a greater force with me. It's in those moments saying, I can't see it right now. I don't even feel it right now, but I choose by faith to not allow what I see to dictate how I think or what I feel. I'm going I'm to consult a higher reality, and by faith, I know I'm not alone. You got to stir up faith. Stir up faith. Have the eyes of faith. And have a vertical perspective. We see with the gospel. You know what? People, you cannot actually like look at the gospel of Jesus and really consider it and not walk away optimistic. You can't. I mean, you can look at it and not let it hit here. I mean, you do it all the time. How many, you can come to church and hear the gospel and not let it hit here. But I mean, when you really consider the gospel of Jesus and you remind yourself that although he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he gave up his divine privileges and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. You can't look at that and not say, wow. Well, as, as I put my faith in him, when he said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'm going to put my faith in the one who died and said he was going to die and rose and said he was going to rose in complete victory. I'm aligning with him. So I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I know I'm on his team and we're going to win. Like, how can you look at the gospel and not just be optimistic? It's like, mic drop, Jesus rose, it's over. Right? Like, it's in those moments when you're just being shook and rattled and pressed and pushed on, and life is just kind of pushing you down. You, you look up and you say, oh, I see him. There he is. Set your mind on things above. Fix your eyes on things above where Christ is seated. He's not up pacing the halls of heaven about your issue. Oh, man, I wonder how I'm going to resolve that. Oh, my goodness. That's a big bill. That is a big bill. You know, my good. He is seated in heaven. He is large and in charge. He's got a recliner in heaven. The earth is his footstool, it says. He's not even worried. Like he is not sweating your, the things you're sweating. And so you've got to take your mind up once in a while and just remind yourself that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. Oh, I know I'm seated in the waiting room. I know I'm seated in the oncology ward and I got chemotherapy going into my vein, but really I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I don't know how this is panning out, but I know who's in charge. I know whose I am. I know who's on my side. I know who's in me. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Gospel optimism. It's in that moment. It's in that moment of despair. Man, if we just imagine every person who, who is going to go take their life, if in that moment they started preaching the gospel. Whew. That moment you're going to overdose on pills. Like, how do you do that and say, but God, who is rich in mercy? How do, you, how, do you, how do you put the gun to your head and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? Whoever believes in him. How do you wallow in despair and preach that message to you? You can't. See, despair runs away when the gospel is preached. See, we got to stir up. you got to learn in those moments. Like, I, I'm going to answer more questions. We're going to do a podcast, and I'm going to answer some questions. I know some of you have, like, actual practical questions about suicide. I'm actually going to answer some of those. But I wanted just, I felt like the Lord just wanted me to equip our, our body. Because here's the deal. Those fights aren't going away. Until Christ returns, we have to actually learn how to stand up and stir up our faith and access that which is already in us. Look, God gave you a 
spirit that actually brings power, love, and a sound mind. It's in you, and it's accessible in every situation. And I felt like the Lord wanted to give you that equipment. You need to learn how to stir it up. I remember, uh, I'll end with this. Bands, you all can come back. All of our locations will we'll, we'll be done in a second. But I, I wanted to say this, and I'm going to, I remember, uh, I, just, I know so many of you have, know, know exactly the feeling, and people closer to you uh, have taken their own lives, and it's, what a horrible thing. I remember I was in high school, first time I ever experienced this, and uh, a friend of mine was a year younger than me. We lived in the same part of town. And we actually, I remember it was the day before, we were playing backyard football. And this kid was like just normal. He seemed like, I mean, this is like the classic. Anybody who's ever, you know, there's the people who like you think are suicidal. And then there's the other people who are suicidal and you can't, you can't see it. And that was, this, that was this guy. His name was James. And I remember we played football the day before and we were, we were just a bunch of kids, high school kids in Marysville and Fredericton and playing football. And I remember the next day at school, it going around that James, we don't know what happened. We don't know what took place. All we know is that something, something snapped in him and he went home and took his father's shotgun out to the woods and ended his life. And that was the first time, and there was multiple times after that, that, that somebody I knew or I remember my good friend's brother overdosed himself. And it's like you don't really know what it is that, like, makes a person snap like that like, to get to that point. You know, I was just reading today in the Times and Transcript in the Halifax paper, uh, Pastor Russ Conway's son Garrett, same thing. Just a year and a half ago, he took his life. We know like people are dealing with stuff, but whatever, what is it? What is that thing that we're like that straw that breaks the camel's back where it's just, I'm done, I'm done, I'm out. Like what is that information or that piece of news? What did James hear when he went home after playing football? Like what, what, what took place? What was that information that landed on his mind and in his heart that made him determine I have no hope anymore? See, I think maybe one of the reasons why we deal with so much despair and discouragement and even suicide in our day, probably more than ever. We, do, we deal with it more than ever. And I think it's because of the frequency of news even. I mean, you have, we have breaking news all the time, don't we? Breaking news, this is happening. Breaking news, Trump bombs Syria. Breaking news, NASDAQ's down. Breaking news, then you have, you know, if it's not on the news, you have breaking news in your text you know, breaking news, your kids are being mental. You know, breaking news, this is happening. Breaking news, you just found out that she cheated on you. Breaking news. And it's like, I think you have enough news break on you, it can break you. I got thinking though, man, maybe the key's in the news. Maybe news isn't the problem, it's, it's the news we allow to break on us. What if the key to victory over despair isn't keeping up with the breaking news? What if victory actually was more about keeping news that already broke right here and right here? Keeping news that already broke, news that Jesus came. 
God didn't let us spin off into oblivion and implode. Jesus came, God became flesh and put on flesh and dwelt among us. That, that news broke. And Jesus, man, did you hear the news? Like he, he didn't just come, he came and he taught and he demonstrated authority. I mean, he preached and he, he breaking news, Jesus would touch people's eyes that couldn't see and they would open. That's, that's breaking news. Jesus, Jesus actually, did you hear he walked on water? Did you hear about the time Jesus actually, he went to this place where this guy had been tormented by 2,000 demons and he just shows up and this guy falls at his feet and the demons run away. Did you hear that one? Did you hear that one that the people had nothing to eat? There wasn't enough food and Jesus shows up and he takes like five, five pieces of bread and a couple of fish and he feeds 15,000 people. Did you hear about that? Like this Jesus is not just some guy. In fact, he said, I am the Christ. I am the son of God. Before Abraham was, I am. Did you hear that? Whew. And this same, this same Jesus wanted to demonstrate his ultimate power and his ultimate love for people, for all people, for every type of person, with every type of dysfunction and every type of problem. And he said, he actually, he took on, took on a cross and that cross represents the punishment that you and I deserve, the shame and the humiliation and all the stuff of life that pours down on us and and he just weighs us down and beats us up. He said, I'm going to take that on myself. And he actually went on the cross and he died. And did you hear that he disarmed the rulers and authorities of this dark world? And he took them to hell. And then, did you hear this? He actually, on the third day, the Bible says that very early in the morning, they went to the tomb and they went to find his body there so that they could put some spices on it so that it, it, they could actually like let, it, let him rest in peace. Except he wasn't resting anymore. The door was open. The cave was empty. The tomb was empty. And Jesus was alive. Like, did you hear that news? So maybe... I don't, I don't know what you're going through, but let me just break some news that already broke. And when that news broke, it broke hell, it broke sin, it broke shame, it broke despair, it broke fear, it broke anxiety. The gospel is the news that breaks all fear. It casts out all fear. So I want you to stand with me right now. I'm going to break some news over you. We're going to stir up some faith right now. We're going to stir up some declarations. And I want you to do this. I don't care if you're like you're dealing with little tiny things or you're dealing with big things. We are going to speak the word of God over ourselves. Put your hand over your heart right now. All of our locations, put your hand over your heart. I want you to say this out loud. Let's stir up our faith right now in the one who was and is and is to come. I want you to say this. Say, I matter. There's meaning. There's a purpose. I'm valuable. I was bought for a price. I'm not a waste. I'm not broken beyond repair. This pain is temporary. God will redeem it. And he'll bring me through it. I'm not a victim. Come on, I have authority. Death is not king. Jesus is king. Death is not a savior. Jesus is my savior. And I have a hope. Come on, I have a future. I have much to live for. I am not abandoned. I am not alone. I have a father. I have a home. I have a place. I have a family. I belong to him. And he who is in me 
is greater than he who is in the world. Come on, God, give God a great shout of praise. Lord, we worship you. Amen.